0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me because there's lots of things you could be listening to right now, and you chose this one, so I, uh, that means a lot. Thank you. And before we get started, I would like to talk about tonemob.com/reverb, which is a way that you can help support the show. ...through your normal gear buying habits. You just go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb... ...and that will take you directly to Reverb.com... ...where you can do all your normal shopping, buying, selling... whatever ...whatever you do on Reverb. And that will help the show out. So we get a little tiny piece of any transaction that happens... ...if you use that link. And it helps keep the show going. It doesn't cost you anything extra. You get gear. We get a little kickback, a little wind in the sails, so to speak... And it's a win-win for everybody. So, once again, that link is tonemob.com slash reverb. Thank you to everyone who has used it. It's been, a, been a, great, a great thing. So, thank you very, very much. I also got to tell you about Gun Street Wiring Shop. Out of Bend, Oregon, one of my favorite places on the planet, Sean is down there making custom wiring harnesses for anything you can think of. So, if you got a guitar with, like, a million switches and a million knobs you can maybe make those things do new things. You just got to talk to Sean. He's got custom wiring ideas that I never even considered. He's got the traditional, uh, you know, 50s wiring, 60s wiring, you know, all that kind of stuff for Les Pauls and strats and everything you can think of in the traditional sense. Or if you want to get weird, we can start throwing push-pull pots in there. We can start having all kinds of different options for you and squeeze new sounds out of your old instruments, which, I mean, let's be honest, that's pretty fun. So go to gunstreetwiringshop.com to check out all the wares and if you have any questions don't hesitate to shoot Sean an email. He is very responsive. He's all about that customer service and he he just makes a great product and is is do- doing great things in the industry. So I'm really glad that he's on the board with the show and I really like what he's doing. I really think it's awesome. So go to gunstreetwiringshop.com and check it out. And where would we be if I didn't mention the wonderful, the beautiful the glorious sinusoid sinusoid cables out of Washington. They're like Oregon's hat, sort of, even though they're the same size. So it's a big hat. But that's not the point. The point is they are making instrument cables, patch cables, speaker cables, any kind of cables you can think of that you would need for your rig. Sinusoid has got the hookup for that. So If you go to sinusoid.com, you can check out their custom cable builder where you can build exactly what you need. You can build... You know, the tech flex, non-tech flex. You can pick the brand of cable, the ends, everything you can imagine on a cable. You can customize in their custom cable builder and get exactly what you need, exactly the way you need it. And even better, they come with a hundred year warranty. So should anything fail in the life of that cable, they've got you covered. Unless, of course, you are a member of the undead and you live to be like 800 years old. Then they probably won't, probably aren't going to cover that. But for all of us regular human beings... You're never going to need another cable. Go with Sinusoid, buy it once, you'll be set, and these guys, these guys really know what's up. So check them out, sinusoid.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, a show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Lylan, and with me today I have Tim Marcus of Milkman Sound. What's Hello. happening? Not too much. Hey. You uh you you having a good day so far? Everything going smooth, going great? Uh yeah. I showed
1: up this morning and I turned the lights on and they were very dim, and I measured the outlets in my shop and there was forty volts coming out of it. So <laughs> it was an interesting start well, that's to the day. Great. Yeah, I was like, 40 volts is a little too low. Like, I could work with, you know, maybe like 100 or something, but
0: 40. You just got to get one of those, uh, what do they call it? Those brown boxes. They keep the, the voltage the same at all times, or at least that's what they say.
1: Yeah, but not that. They don't, they don't bring it that <laughs> high. But anyways, I, yeah,
0: so it's, it's all good now. I guess PG&E.
1: No, what happened? PG&E then? is just on a roll in California right now, and I guess they just blew up the transformer
0: down the street. That's cool. That's cool. Have you ever seen that happen? Like actually watched one blow? Uh, Only on Twitter. Okay. I've seen it in real life one time and it was like the aliens are coming. We're going to be taken away. This is it. It's it's insane in, in real life. But yeah. yeah it's exciting. Electricity is fun. It's like you're, uh, it's your bread and butter, right? Knowing how electricity works. This is true. So why don't we get right into it? And I and this is kind of interesting because I don't really know. Um, I've been aware of your company and yourself for quite a while, but I don't really know what your musical backstory is and and how it evolved into the company that you have today and everything that you do in the industry. Okay.
1: Uh, So you want to start at the very beginning, like childhood or do we? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I always wanted to play guitar when I was little, and when I was ten, I started taking lessons, and uh, played in bands in high school and college, and um, was always kind of interested in like vintage gear. There was I grew up in Connecticut, and there was this really great shop called the Music Guild in Danbury, and they had like the coolest vintage stuff, and I used to work a lot. Like all weekend at the dairy that my family owned, and then like take the cash and like bring it to them and buy any kind of cool stuff. So, I actually had like a 412 cab that I bought there and a Ampeg V2, which I don't know if you are familiar with that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a gun. it's a tube head and it ran on these weird like 7027s and it was always kind of breaking And um, anyway, so and then I bought like a Leslie there and I brought that to college and. Got into like fixing the stuff, and uh, when I in about 2004 or five, I think I got really interested in pedal steel and started playing pedal steel, and that's when I kind of realized that everything that I loved in my guitar rig uh, kind of was terrible for pedal steel. And I moved to San Francisco and started playing in a band, and I was using an old Silverface Twin, the uh, ultra linear 135 watt Twin which I did some modifications to um, just kind of out of a book that I bought somewhere. I think I bought, what's that shop in Portland that has the technical bookstore?
0: Um, I don't know. There's a, the most famous like book the really big Powell's bookshop. Books.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Powell's, Powell's books across mm-hmm. the street. They have like a technical bookshop and I bought a bunch of two, like two BAMP books there. And um, this was a long time ago. This had to be in like 2008 or nine. And, um, I was going to say, anyways, you know something I started, about kinda... Portland that I don't. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. I only know a, f- a few things and everything I know there is probably long gone because I haven't been there in like at least 10 years. Um, but uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So I started kind of digging into that amp and then uh, I had a friend who wanted to build a champ with me. So we kind of knocked that out in a couple of nights and I got really interested in that like a Fender champ circuit. That's what I mean by mm-hmm. that. Um, and then, uh, let's see, then I built a Tweed Deluxe kit from Mojotone, um, which I love and I still have, and I've since gone back and fixed all the things that I did wrong. And I kind of just really had the bug at that point. I really wanted to just build stuff. And, um, that's when I was like, you know, I'm just going to design an amp for pedal steel. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to go for it. And that's what I did. And, Um, Just by weird happenstance, I got an email from Greg Lees, who was on tour with Ray LaMontagne at the time and ran into a friend of mine who was saying like, oh, I have a friend who built a uh, steel guitar amplifier. And Greg was coming to San Francisco and I lent it to him and he liked it and he wanted me to build him one. And then I built him one and then it was not good. And he sent it back to me like, you know, five or six times. And then by the time I was finally done, like doing all the things he wanted me to do, it was really good because he has like an incredible ear. And uh, then I started getting like phone calls from steel guitar players.
0: And the rest is me just trying to catch up after that. So how much time do you spend on guitar versus pedal steel these days? Sounds like you're primarily a pedal steel player. Yeah, I'd say probably like 75%
1: of the time I'm playing pedal steel. And uh, I still get to play guitar
0: in some of the bands I play in, but not nearly as much. So I I have a deep, deep, like deep love for pedal steel, the sound of it. I think it's one of the one of the most beautiful sounding instruments in the world. I also am extremely intimidated by it. And I have no no clue of like, like, do I want to dive into that thing? or will i just fail all over the place like how um, since you do both how hard are we talking here
1: i mean you have to fail you're not like you know you're going to you're going to crash and burn the first couple months but it's definitely worth it cuz once it starts making sense you'll be a pedal steel player and then you'll never run out of work ever again that's kind of what i i realized when i was when i moved to san francisco and i was like playing pedal steel and everybody wanted me to be in their band I was like, how come I, I was like way better at guitar and no one was really knocking on my door to play guitar in their band. So like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's because everybody's really good at guitar now. And, uh, you know, there's, it's really uh, like people who are good at guitar, like start the band. Whereas pedal steel, everybody's like you. They're like, I'm afraid of it. But in reality, it's like not that hard. And it's a really great instrument to learn. And once you get the hang of it, like you'll be. Busier than a bass player. <laughs> well, maybe I don't want to do that then. <laughs> <laughs> Except the but great no, thing is a... you don't actually need to learn the songs like a
0: bass player. You don't right, have you to just exce- you just have these. You just know the key and you play a part. You're like, yeah, here's it's my, like, here's my part that I invented. It's like table salt. Like
1: the the band is already like this amazing meal, and you just kind of sprinkle in like a little salt on top, and everyone's like, ooh, that that makes it even better. But if you're not there, like it's totally fine.
0: And I, it I does like, make it an even, even better. It just, oh, it's so mm. Well, how about this? This would be a good thing for I, I'm entirely doing this uh, out of selfishness so that I don't have to start from zero. Like, what would you suggest for somebody like me who's like super, super pedal steel curious? Like, where would it, where would you start? Would you start with a lap steel or you just go full into it? Like, and, uh, well, lap like steel's maybe kind of a like, different.
1: It's a different oh. thing. Um, There's lots of confusion uh, between slide guitar, lap steel, and pedal steel that I have to. I feel like I get people think I'm playing slide, and I'm like, no, slide is like you stick your finger through it, and that's like Almond Brothers or uh, that kind of thing. And then lap steel is um, actually like I find it to be more difficult than pedal steel because you're in like the land of chord inversions, and you have to do all these slants and stuff to get different things because the you know you have one tuning and you're just kind of stuck with it whereas pedal steel like if you want to play a minor chord you like use your feet to change the tuning and stuff so it's for me it's like much more intuitive um but that's also just me like for some reason i i was able to like get into the steel pretty pretty easily um once i kind of figured out where all the basic stuff was but that's because i took a couple lessons I would recommend people that are interested um, find a steel player locally and to see, you know, they usually have a another pedal steel that they can set up for you and set them up like face to face and see if you can grab a couple lessons and get just like the basics of it.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's probably a smart move before like making the investment because it's not it's not exactly like going to the store and buying a hundred dollar guitar to see if you like it. It's yeah, a, they're a every involved. pedal
1: steel is like a boutique handmade thing that is machined out of like a gazillion pieces of aluminum and steel and they're they're an insane instrument and uh you can't really find a cheap one and if you do find a cheap one i would recommend leaving it where you found it because it's <laughs> cheap
0: for a reason what's a what's the like kind of the entry level uh, i guess none of it's really entry level but like wh- where would you suggest a guy start if he was going to start putting a pedal steel rig together
1: I would and I, I always recommend the same thing, which is what I did, which was advice I got from the, my teacher, which was uh, to. there's a guy in San Diego, California named Jim Palasgar. And he has a shop called Steel Guitars of North County. And he kind of, you know, has a selection of maybe a dozen or so like rebuilt single neck 10 string steels from the 1980s that are not terribly okay. expensive, probably in the like. Twelve hundred to eighteen hundred dollar range, which is pretty inexpensive for a good, like a a, a well set up steel guitar. And the nice thing about those is, like, they kind of hold their value. So if you're not into it, you can kind of sell it for what you got it for. And then um if you do get into it, then they're good enough to do recordings and gigging with. Whereas, like the starter steels that you see, like, are not. They're kind of Made out of really junky repurposed parts like the balls on the end of guitar strings and whatever. And they're not they're oh, always really like too light. So when you move your knees for the knee levers, usually the whole steel goes along with it, which is not, oh no, <laughs> it's going to make it very difficult to play in tune. Whereas if you get like an 80s like BMI or you know, MSA or something from Jim, like it'll be like a solid, totally giggable steel i actually bought one i bought a second one to take to europe once and it had hal rugs
0: signature like carved into it and i was like oh there you go (laughs) it's like a collector's item (laughs) there you go that's that's crazy so and then and then what are this is uh this is kind of interesting too like do you incorporate effects into your steel at all or do you just kind of you play it very traditional definitely use um my
1: favorite all-time standalone effect for the pedal steel as of now is the uh keely dark side pedal which i think every steel guitar player should have in their seat and what the dark side for real the dark side is killer for pedal steel i don't know what magic is in that thing but for some reason the fuzz that's in that is just like butter with pedal steel and then it has the delay and then you can flop it over to that Univibe if you want and it just it's just like a kind of one and done pedal and, um, I use that a lot and I've convinced most of my friends that play pedal steel to buy one. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a killer pedal. You can do all the like sneaky Pete kind of fuzzy, you know, tape echoey stuff with that. And, you know, it runs on like a regular nine volt thing and fits in your seat and sounds great. And then, nice. uh, the other pedal, I use, besides a volume pedal, which is like an essential part of it, is um, I really like that new MXR Phase 95, which is like the Mm -hmm. little tiny, I think it's a Phase 90, a Phase 45, and a script in like one little mini pedal, and I keep that thing on Phase 90 at about 11 o'clock, and all the time. That's like the Waylon Jennings machine right there.
0: Mm, you're, You're talking my language right there. I'm a huge Whalen fan, so yeah. Or, uh, I think uh, Ralph Mooney was a steel player, mm-hmm. and yeah, Ralph Mooney was. There's actually, and um, you you may have already listened to this, and may have uh, maybe w- like whale whale. What did I just do there? That was weird. You might <laughs> be well <you're> shorthand. <laughs> you know, me and whale <laughs> whale whale, whale. You know. <laughs> Um, but there's a there's a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones, and it's all about like a 20th century country music. And there is a Ralph Mooney episode uh, and it is fascinating. So if you oh, are curious need to, new to that, yeah, you you will probably really, really enjoy it. That podcast is awesome. It's one of my favorites that I've ever heard. It's so fascinating. But and the Ralph Mooney episode is really cool. You'd probably you'd probably be into it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm pretty sure he played Fender pedal steels too. Um, which are pretty unique in like the pedal steel world because they don't have knee levers. They have just like a gazillion pedals for a feet, and a lot of those guys are playing with two feet.
0: So, I almost feel like that would make more sense to me. Well, Maybe you not. They,
1: when they play with two feet, they don't use a volume pedal, and it just makes it sound a little different. If you listen to the, like the stuff that the flying burritos were doing, uh, I'm pretty sure that sneaky Pete wasn't using a volume pedal either. And he was playing with two feet and it's just a different thing. It's like driving with two feet, you know, which is supposedly a no, no, but unless you have a manual transmission, but anyways, yeah, it's just like a weird different way of doing it. And uh, those fender steels have a very unique sound.
0: Interesting. What uh, other than the function of it, what, What is uh, what goes into the tone of a of a steel guitar like is I I kind of just being a dumb guitar player. I just like aren't they all like telecasters like. No, I mean, it's the
1: same as guitars where there's like different the bodies are built out of different things. Um, The bridge hardware makes a big difference. Like on a pedal steel, it's called a changer. That's like the thing with all the fingers and whatever that. Um, changes raises and lowers the different strings when you step on the pedals and okay um the what the neck is made out of like i have two guitars from the same company williams and one has a wood neck and one has an aluminum neck and they sound completely different um uh, I, I and then that. there's i have a couple emmons guitars which have what's called like a push-pull system so some of the changes get like pushed by the levers and some get pulled and that has a totally different tone than a modern pedal steel, which is all pull, which has like a split changer where some of the pulls raise and some of the pulls lower. And they all sound different. The Fender ones have like this weird like pulley in the middle of them. And like a it looks like, a, you know, aircraft cable or something, some sort of like steel, like rope that ties to the changer. And it's it's wacky. <laughs> so, yeah, they all sound different, just like guitars do. And, um, once you get pretty like trained up, you can kind of tell what the different steel players are using. Um, if they have like a showbud or an Emmons, or I think Garcia was using a ZB, which is uh even wackier system that I don't know because I don't have one of those. Um, and then like a lot of the modern steel stuff, like you, we'd hear like Paul Franklin or whatever. I think those are like, an, that's an all pull. And they just, they all sound very different. They all tune differently and uh, they all feel very different to the player. And the uh, all pole steels, the modern ones, are definitely like the fastest playing steels, in my opinion. Oh, interesting. At least in my experience, like you can really shred on those things if you want because they're so fast and like, you know, the uh, manufacturing has come so long since the 60s. So everything's like computer you know cnc cut out of aluminum and whatever and it's everything's just precise and great like a ferrari or something and then like the old ones from the 60s is like driving a school bus you know it's like <laughs> i don't know if i'm gonna get this pedal down in time that's that's kind of how my emmons uh push pull feels
0: it's like uh, it's kind of a it's a little more raw it's a little uh, it's like a it's an experience instead of kind of uh more it, you have to play it rather than uh, it playing you rather I guess, yeah and no then amount. it's like it, the next day you're like why
1: is my knee killing me <laughs> you're like oh yeah because I brought <laughs> the eminence to the gig last night and it's uh I, I was actually doing like physical work with one leg all night
0: instead of just kind of gliding into it I got gotcha. you that's interesting
1: yeah yeah you're if you're gonna do like a three set show or something I would recommend or at least for me I always bring like a modern pedal steel for that. I can, you know, be comfortable. Because uh, that third set of so, uh, my MNs is really, really slow. Like, I don't even care if I'm playing in tune anymore. I'm like, <laughs> my left foot, like, they just get so tired of mashing the, the pedals down because they get, they start feeling stiffer and stiffer. It's like the end of like a long, long road trip when you've been driving oh, for like dude. 10 hours and you're just like, I'm not even stopping at red lights anymore. I just got to get there. And P,
0: you know, it's kind of that. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. It's a lot. Of, that sounds like a lot of work. Maybe I don't want to get into this. No, <laughs> I'm. I'm totally, <laughs> yeah, I'm totally kidding. Uh, one, what, since I want to dive off of this subject uh, and get into your your stuff a little bit more. But before we do that, I had a good question from the Facebook group from Dylan Clay. And oh, this is a very, a very good question and was one I was actually going to ask. Uh, What makes an amp particularly well suited for the pedal steel?
1: Uh, In my experience, you want it to have a lot of uh, what I call bandwidth. Um, And that is that the steel guitar itself has like a crazy range of like frequency response, um, where like the lowest strings are kind of in like the bass guitar um, area, and then the highest strings and like pinch harmonic stuff is like really, really super high. And then, like steel guitar players, do a lot of very complex, um, like chord voicings and stuff, where like you have a chord and like couple notes are bending in different directions, and it's just like if their amplifier is not very hi-fi and doesn't have like a really good power supply, um, it'll just kind of sound like mush, and um. There's a thing that tube amplifiers do uh, that you, that guitarists love, which is like there's a ghost note sometimes where you like bend. Mm-hmm. like You know, like a Marshall, like, for example, you'll like do a two note bend and you'll hear like that beating sound. And yeah. for steel guitar, that's not ideal because you're doing so much bending and stuff like you kind of got to get that beating down, but you don't want it to be all the way gone because then it sounds really sterile, like a, a solid state amp or something. And that's not good either. So you kind of, for me, it's like the huge hi-fi bandwidth, like the minimal interference from the power supply. And then the third thing I would add on that would be like tons of power, uh, as much as you can get, because again, you have to reproduce
0: that low frequency. I wondered about that, you know, in in my brain, which obviously this is not accurate, but in my brain, you know, steel is always, uh, I I would imagine it being a higher focused uh, instrument. Which is yeah is a lot really of mid-range vacation.
1: yeah um yeah well the, and, and on so, a yeah, string I was... pedal steel, the low string is a b which is like you know the seventh fret of a guitar that's like right. as low as that goes but i play an extended e9 which drops it down lower and uh yeah it's just it's just different and then but a lot of steel guitar players play like a c-neck and on the C neck, one of the pedals drops the low C down to a A, and that's like the same as an open A on a bass guitar. So, oh, like okay. I said, that's gotcha. a huge range. Of... So yeah, you're mostly in the mid range. I would say that's the sweet spot. Um, and then the really high pitched stuff, um, you know, some steel players play up there more than others. Um, for me personally, I'm I kind of hover around the, you know, mid range stuff.
0: Right on, right on. So um, you you've been you kind of got started making amps for steel guitar players. And obviously that's a, a big focus of what you do and and you yourself as a player. But, you know, you're also a guitarist and, uh, you know, I mainly have seen your your guitar amplifiers. I mean, how would you how would you say like you as a company, do you sell more guitar amplifiers? Do you sell more oh, metal yeah. steel focused stuff or what? Uh, way, way more guitar amplifiers these days.
1: Um, the nice thing about my, the, I feel like you can kind of go like one direction, which is like guitar sounds great out of the amps that I designed for pedal steel, but it doesn't necessarily go the other direction. Like when you plug pedal steel into like an AC 15, or, I mean, let me just say that if you ever listened to Sunvolt, um, I think Eric Haywood was playing pedal steel out of an AC 15 on their first record. Um, that came out like a million years ago but anyways besides that it doesn't always unless you're eric haywood and you're some sort of like genius of low power amplifiers it doesn't always work very well um like you know it it just sometimes they're they have that like ghost note or sometimes they have like a very forced like pinchy mid-range which might kind of not jive with your pedal steel um so but what really sounds great is when you plug in like a telecaster or, or any guitar, pretty much, into an amp that has that like kind of high bandwidth and like less interference from ghost noting. Um, that sounds really great too. So that was when I first started building guitar amplifiers. I was kind of just taking the pedal steel ideology and migrating it to lower power amps that would be great for guitar. And then at some point, I just started making guitar amps that I can't play pedal steel out of. So I was just like, screw just <laughs> so many guitar players and they pedal steel players are, are interesting because they'll be like, they'll have their one pedal steel and then they'll have their one amp. And then that, they'll use that. Like a lot of these guys that like they bought, they're using the same like twin that they bought in like 1968. And they're like, they still, that's their one amp that they've had their entire career. And that's it. And guitar players are like,
0: it seems like, yeah, the like, twin is so so ubiquitous with with pedal steel. yeah players. a
1: twin with jbl speakers is like a, i mean that's what lloyd green used on that live charlie pride record and that's become kind of like the gold standard of steel tone ever since and a lot of those guys around that time like bought a twin with jbls and they've just been using it ever since and only recently are like this is too heavy i want something lighter which is a different conversation but um yeah so anyways there's, there's a guitar player is kind of are more like, I want to have like four different amps because they n- understand that they all sound and react differently. And, uh, you know, there's no one amp to rule them all. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to make some more guitar oriented stuff and have different options. And that's kind of where like the, you know, class A, like the half pint and pint amps came to be. And more recently, the one with the harmonic tremolo, which doesn't really work great with pedal steel um and i've done some other kind of guitar stuff but for example the creamer is an amplifier that is just killer with pedal steel that's like the first one where i kind of took the voicing from my big steel amp and like put it into a smaller lower power amp and that amp has been very good for double duty and you'll you'll hear that on a lot of uh recordings and stuff and there's a lot of steel players that are using that as their recording amp even though it's technically a guitar amp
0: that's the one i i was telling you before we started recording that's the one that i've been kind of drooling over was the creamer i'm like hmm yeah that is that's "Mm." the one but then you dropped a little bit of you dropped something on me which i didn't expect you to say and it's that you you've been using the amp more and for those who don't know the amp is indeed a product that he makes and that is the name of it but maybe we'll let you talk about it a little bit
1: yeah so i had a amplifier called the half and half that i've been building for a few years that was a steel guitar amplifier and um it's 300 watt and it had basically like a twin reverb style front end including the tube reverb And uh, I tried making a guitar version of it, and I was like, eh, I was like, this is just like too much power for guitar. I was like, I really wanna do like a 50 watt version of it. And then uh, while I was at it, I was like, I wonder if we can like do it so small that it's like the size of a pedal and then have the reverb and tremolo that my other amps have. And um, so that's kind of where that idea came from. Um, I had like maybe five years or so building hybrid amplifiers the way that I thought they needed to be built, which is like with high voltage and hand wiring and whatever. And which makes a difference running the tube at like a really high voltage for headroom and stuff. Um, So anyway, so the amp um, concept kind of came to be and um, I think yeah, it was last year at NAMM. I announced it and they started rolling out kind of in like the late summer of last year. And right now, We are completely sold out of them for another month or so. Um, We're like building another huge pile of them because I just had this thing kind of just like took off. I really had no idea that that many people were going to want like a pedal board amplifier. Um, But yeah, so what I was telling you earlier is that I usually gig with my creamer and I use it for guitar and pedal steel. And lately I've I haven't taken the creamer out in a long time I've just been keeping the amp pedal on me at all times and I have a speaker cable and like a little like coupler thing which I think they used to call like a knuckle but it's like two female quarter inches like stuck together in like a little tube and I'll just like unplug the speaker out of whatever amp is around you know in any rehearsal space or other band or whatever and just jack it into the amp pedal and do that or I'll bring like a little cabinet with a one twelve. With a I have a little a couple cabs with JBL D120s in them that I like to use. And yeah, I've just been doing that. I don't know. Like I got I got really used to that creamer. And it's it was a little bit of a change to get used to the amp, which has kind of a different feel. But like, you know, now that I'm used to it and I go back to the creamer, it's a little I'm like, wow, this is I kind of like shot myself in the foot because now I'm making something that is like one fifth the price of this other thing (laughs) but it's like totally my go-to thing right now um but it's not it's never going to be exactly the same as the creamer i think in terms of like that like richness of the the tone but god it's like really close for the price that's so interesting (laughs) yeah and i've just been waiting to do like a travel gig or something i haven't flown anywhere in a a couple years but um, it's really kind of designed for traveling musicians too, because you can plug it in um, at any voltage anywhere. So like if you're in the UK and they have 240 volts coming out of the wall, you can plug it in without a step down or step up or anything.
0: Oh really? It's just ready to rock. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you're wow. like
1: flying around the country or whatever, or like rehearsing and like somewhere else, it's like, it's just the kind of thing that it's, For me, even if I was gigging with a creamer, and I actually have done a gig where I used my creamer and then I had the amp and I was using the amp just as like a DI out to the front of house. So they didn't mic my amp. It was like the creamer was just like the world's most like amazing monitor on stage, basically. (laughs) And then uh, the amp was doing all the like heavy lifting and uh, that worked great too. And I was like, like I was saying, like I find, I feel like there's always kind of like, when you have it, you're always like, oh, I'm so glad I have it. You know, like maybe your amp, maybe your rectifier tube like dies or 12 x 7 or something. And then you're like, oh, well, now I have this totally good thing that I can use and like not have to like borrow the house amp, which is like some dreadful
0: thing usually, <laughs> you know, of course. So what are the specs on this thing again? Can you give can you give me a refresher? And for anybody who hasn't actually got to who hasn't already Googled it during this conversation, uh, what, are the, <laughs> sure. what are the details on that little guy?
1: So it's a, the preamp is a 12X7, which runs at, uh, I think about like 250 volts or so, maybe a little more. And uh, it's got a standard like two knob tone stack, just treble and bass. And then there's a digital reverb circuit that kind of comes in and out of, it's not, it doesn't like get converted to digital. It's just kind of like a a little loop that goes around it, kind of like how, uh spring reverb would be so um so there's and that was designed by uh robert Keeley because he is like the master of the the spring reverb emulation so it actually sounds uh, very springy and very good and then everything kind of cascades through this uh vca tremolo circuit which kind of is a um it sounds a lot like bias tremolo like you'd have on like the older Fender amps, not the optical tremolo, like that really smooth bias thing. And and then from there, it just kind of cascades into a 50-watt Class D amp module. And then there's a headphone output, and there's a balanced line output with uh, like a little EQ-based cab sim kind of thing. Um, and then I have a pedal output. So if you just wanted to use it going into another amp, for example, or like into in the front of your pedals, as, you, know, you can use it as just a preamp and um, and then the speaker output. And it's all, its I don't know, it's like, it's pretty small. And I think it weighs about two and a half pounds and they sell for about 700 bucks and has a uh, universal power. So like I was saying before, you can, wherever you are, if you're in Japan and it's a hundred volts, you can plug it in. If you're in Australia, it's 240, you can plug it in or anywhere in between.
0: That's uh that's very cool. Did that get kind of birthed out of like I know you said you're just going to try to make it smaller but was it did it become a thing like I kind of need this and therefore I would like to make it happen or was it sort sort of just a progression of the make it smaller idea?
1: Uh no, it was definitely a thing that I was like I want this because I I do a lot of like kind of rehearsals and I don't want to bring anything, especially with a pedal steel. It's like already that's like a whole load from the car. So I uh, yeah, I just wanted to like something that was kind of small. And then also at the time I was flying a lot for gigs and I and I was really sick of using backline rental like SIR gear uh, because for pedal steel, that just sounds it just so bad. Like I think the best I don't want to get into trouble here. (laughs) But as far as like those reissue (laughs) amplifiers from a major manufacturer, there is one that is good, but sometimes you get a version of that one with a weird speaker or something that's not good. And then the other thing is that you're you're doing great for like 45 minutes and then they kind of start like disappearing on you and you have to kind of keep reaching back and turning it up and turning it up and it never sounds the same. And I don't know how electronically that's possible, but it is what they do and it's so if you're playing for like an hour and a half uh it gets frustrating so i wanted something that i would be able to fly with um even though i haven't gone anywhere since but
0: uh, there will be a day
1: <laughs> where i get to fly and take this thing again and i'll be so much happier
0: yeah that would be i i uh i i'd never flown with like any instruments other than like a couple pedals until recently when i brought a guitar home from nam and uh i like i like totally understand the the like I, I feel like i have so much more understanding for like a what a traveling musician goes through because i was like all stressed and i was like oh, i gotta get in and i gotta be i gotta be in line and i gotta make sure that my, my last plane that i flew on didn't have big enough overhead compartment so uh hopefully this yep. one does and it's like a whole thing like i never you know never really dreamed of before and it was like that was just me trying to get a guitar home not trying to actually like go to a gig where someone's relying on me to be there with my stuff. And I was like, wow, this is stressful. This is a mess. Yeah, You could
1: show up with a box full of matchsticks and be like, this was a guitar. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I promise you this was a guitar when I woke up this morning. Yeah, it's really stressful. Oh, yeah. I, I think they've made it a little better, um, but not really. Um, I was just thinking of this time. I, I flew down to San Diego with a friend of mine to do like some sort of benefit concert and we missed the exit to the airport and we looped around and we were super late and I had to check my 1965 Gibson. Um, what is it? Uh, I don't know. It's a Gibson acoustic from 1965 and it's like so brittle and it's in like a crappy, like chip. It's not in a great case basically. And, uh, I had to check it. <laughs> so <No. I> go, <laughs> and, but it was fine. It was fine. It was Everything Virgin America. Fun. They did a great job. Virgin America was like, you know, kid gloves. But, um, yeah i was definitely really worried about it but they were they like brought it up with the strollers after the flight so it was like sitting there in the jetway nice but nice. that does not yeah. always the case i've flown with guitars in my mono bag and had to check them and they just come out on the uh that like belt thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: but imagine doing that with an amp with like tubes which are essentially just light bulbs like that thing hits the conveyor and something slams into it and like it's done so the amp is something that you could have in your like carry on
0: yeah that's that's uh yeah having control of your your instruments while traveling is is very crucial i mean we've all heard all the horror stories and i seen a video like a year ago of of a guy you know like the bags were coming down out of the plane belly of the plane and he was like putting the suitcases like on the his like mobile rack thing and he was being fairly careful with the suitcases he was just kind of putting them there but then like a yeah, guitar would come guitar. down it literally he would just take it off the conveyor and drop it from like waist height just drop it on the ground um and there was a band um that was traveling so there was several guitars and they were just like watching in horror as the guys just dropping them uh right onto the the asphalt and i'm like what i don't uh, that's not even like that much that much easier you know what i mean than just setting because they were kind of they fell into this big pile and it was like a whole mess i was like that's not even really saving you any work because now you got to like dig them out of all this pile when you go to move them you know again i don't know it didn't make any sense and i'm like this is this is what our instruments deal with this is what yeah and try flying with a
1: pedal steel i mean a pedal steel to get it like under 50 pounds is a challenge, you know? So it's like, and you can't, there isn't a pedal steel waiting for you at the other end. It's not. And even if there was like, it could be set up different. It's just, it's, you just have to like kind of deal with it. It's not fun. So I've, there's a lot of companies now that the- are making like flyable pedal steels. And, uh, God bless them. Cause <laughs> it's, it's way better now with a smaller flyable
0: pl- pedal steel than it was before. I was gonna say how how do they get a pedal steel under fifty pounds? Because only ones I've moved were definitely more than fifty pounds. That's for sure.
1: Uh, mine, just make them out one of, of my aluminum ways or under what? fifty. Yeah, well, yeah, more aluminum. Uh, my friend Ross makes like a really really light pedal steel. Um, a Sierra guitars is his company. They're very expensive. They're absolutely gorgeous. They sound amazing, and they're like they pack into a case small enough that you could like carry on with you. oh really uh, yeah but i have one that's uh, i have a williams that doesn't have the headstock on it it's called a keyless and it's basically like uh remember those guitars from the 80s like steinberger or whatever without the headstock it kind of looks a little like that but the pedal steel version and uh that one in its little flight case is about 48 pounds and i've flown with it and i actually just ship it in its little case too like when I did that video with Josh Scott um, his like vlog episode about pedal steel. I just like shipped it to him. <laughs> I was like not even worth flying it out. Just like, I don't even want to carry it. So yeah, this, you know, I don't know. There's ways to get them around.
0: It's never fun or inexpensive though. Right. It's just part of the price you pay. Well, oh, you said something really interesting about there's, there's not going to be a pedal steel waiting for you at the other side. There is almost always a guitar. If you need to find a guitar, you can probably yeah. find something serviceable somewhere, most likely.
1: Yeah, oh, and there's a guitar center in like every city or a guitar shop or something. You can always, you'll always be safe. You know, like they sell like, this is actually part of the reason why I don't use like weirdo tubes in my amps. Like I kind of stick to the basics and there's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you can always find a 12AX7. You can always find a 6L6 or a 6V6. You're not always gonna find like an EF86 or, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of other uh, like a 12DW7 or something. Like you might not find those on the other end of wherever you're going or when you're on tour. So like 12AX7s, 12AT7, that kind of stuff. Like they're every major guitar store and guitar center or whatever like would have those. Um, and that there is a like a kind of paranoia that I've developed. I maybe from playing pedal steel and having this issue where like you know when you go somewhere and something breaks like how are you going to perform that night so I keep it very very boring in terms of like the tube layouts so that they can be found
0: if they need to be That's the same kind of philosophy that I know that uh, Chris Benson has too and so you guys are yeah, kind of Yeah he's all about approved, those JJ yeah. tubes that you can get anywhere Yep. He uses them in everything. And it, you guys have kind of proved that like you don't necessarily need to get weirdo tubes to get unique sounds, which is which is cool. Um Yeah. I, I've got this old Ampeg J twelve that uh I can't remember what the power tubes are, but they're something they're really the, weird. They're the seventy twenty sevens. That that's the same problem I had
1: when I was in college and my Ampeg V two, which had seventy twenty sevens, died. And at the time, those tubes were out of production. Like, no one was making them. Um, I think in the early 2000s, uh, Ruby tubes started making them again. And they're, like, the only ones that make them. And then a lot of people were modifying the amps to run on 6L6. But uh, that has a different pinout, so you got to, like, move all the wires around.
0: Um, I think this one is even... This one might even be different than the 7027s. I can't remember because the, they made the J12s in a few different configurations, as, at least as far as my internet Googling was telling me. And I can't remember what's in mine now, but I feel like it's not those. I could be wrong. I could walk yeah. over there and, I don't know. and I'd, look I'd, at I'd it. I'd have wait. to look. But it sounds awesome. I But I only play it like very, very occasionally because I'm just like, one day these are going to just be toast and I won't be able to find them. Um, well there's I mean you'll be able to find
1: them. there's a lot of stuff out there i mean these these companies made back in the day that tubes were being produced I mean they made a lot of them and then the industry like very quickly moved to solid state and a lot of the tube stuff just kind of ended up like warehoused and they never go bad they're you know they're in a vacuum so they they just kind of store well and there's lots of people uh you know with the new old stock tube stash and I think you'll you'll be able to find them. Um, but but yeah, this it. is Just definitely a, a concern of, you know, the aging guitarist, which is like, where am I going to, you know, when I'm old, like, where am I going to find tubes? And I think that they'll always, because eventually they will all go away. Um, I remember when I first, like, the only time I ever talked to John Mayer, like, I, he was like, He's like the first thing I did when I had any money was buy just like a huge thing of tubes. I was <laughs> like, oh. "That's so smart. That's exactly what I would do," <laughs> yeah. because you you that's like the the thing that's going to like keep you going like your whole life. You like pass it on, you know. That's that's the most important thing more than any guitar or anything. Like guitar strings will always be made, but the tubes, uh, you know, they really hit their stride in the '60s and they've just been kind of going downhill ever
0: since. It's actually kind of amazing to me that that there's enough demand, basically from, uh, hi-fi people and guitarists, uh, essentially. That's 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 the only ones driving the tube industry as it as it is today. Like there's only a handful of manufacturers, but it's kind of amazing that there's. Well, yeah, there's but that's still not demand true for this. N- n- no, they
1: no. Recently, they've started developing tubes for the space program because someone like, was like oh you know like you know if you use a transistor and it's got like a silicon conductor and like uh, s- like some sort of like solar radiation or something will find its way through and knock out the silicon it, it like it degrades those transistors and stuff that they're using in space but a vacuum tube is a vacuum and it conducts through a vacuum and so the radiation just goes right through it so i think that they've actually been kind of re like looking at Tubes for the space industry again because they work so well in space since they are space versus, like, you know, something that has to conduct through silicon. So I, I don't know. Wow. I, but I, how does that translate to the audio? Probably not. You know, I think those, whatever they're developing is probably like, you know, microscopic, like little tube type conductor thingies. But as long as they can still, um, you know, they know how to like do the cathode coatings and all that stuff. Like, I think we're good, but I would say just as a word of advice to people that are really into tube amps to invest in a good set of new old stock tubes for whatever amp you love, um, because it, it, it makes a huge difference and uh, they last much longer and they're much more reliable than modern tubes. And then, you know, through your you know, next 10 to 15 years will be like much more enjoyable. <laughs> that's, just,
0: that's just like a random unsolicited piece of advice. <laughs> that's, that's what we're all about. Random and unsolicited things. Um, So let's see. I'm going to check the, check the Facebook group here. See if anybody else has, it has any questions. Oh, this is an interesting one. Uh, Blake Lawson wants to know what your favorite cheese is. Hmm. I'm assuming because of the dairy reference. I'm not sure why he would ask that, but we do talk about food a lot. Well,
1: I am kind of a foodie. I mean, I grew up in a family that owned a restaurant and a dairy dairy bar. Uh, I think my favorite cheese is there's uh, this place in Vermont called Shelburne Farms, and they make this like really, really good aged, like sharp cheddar that's like just outrageous and uh Mm. i remember having kind of like a transcendental like cheese eating experience with that cheese um but i don't know there's lots of good cheese out here in california i really like uh you know like a kind of a more available thing is like a drunken goat (laughs) that's good um and then as kind of an everyday like keep in the house cheese dubliner i love that oh yeah cheese Mm. love that cheese yeah that's like my number my top like grilled cheese cheese Uh, Or the Cabot, Uh, it used to be called the Hunter's Cheddar. I think it's now just their extra extra sharp. I like cheddar. I guess it's like a general theme. Yeah, like a sharp cheddar. Cheddars.
0: I like the the sharpest uh, cheddar that I can get. That's that's what I'm all about. A big fan. Uh, I don't really like
1: blue cheeses or gorgonzola or that kind of stuff. I'm not huge into that. I, I. I kind of would go like a soft cheese before that. Um, okay, that's that's the preference. I don't know, not too stinky. <laughs> that's that's. I don't want answer. cheese that smells like a uh, like my my child's diaper. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah, I know. I but stinky avoid. cheese is, this can be so delicious. I, I mean, for real, just it can it. be good. I don't know. I haven't ran into too many cheeses, if I'm being completely honest, that I, I wasn't a fan of. I can usually find something to like about just about any cheese I've ever tried. I'm not yeah, like a, it's just a preference or anything, thing. but yeah, if yeah, you like I'm, cheese. If I like order it. a salad, I
1: don't get one with blue cheese or gorgonzola unless I have to.
0: And I do. I, that's, I'm like, yeah, hook me up with that blue cheese, please. Uh, but I, would I understand much rather go how it's with like uh, or Parmesan cheese. or the uh,
1: Pecorino or like, uh, you know, soft cheese, like the. Uh, you know, I don't know what's the kind, know. what's the one I'm thinking of the burrata. Is that isn't that like soft?
0: I don't know what that one is. It's not familiar know. to it's, me
1: or. Uh, uh, oh, man. Now, now I'm just hungry. I'm just.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm super I'm hungry. But I'm You know how the Hulk is always angry. I'm always hungry, so it's not really a new thing for me to be like, "Oh yeah, it's time to eat." It's just like my state of being. It's just consuming excessive amount of calories, like a yeah. true American. Yeah, I guess it's um, true. Before we do, we do have a you know kind of a food section that we got to get into, but before we do that, uh, there's a then a new question kind of introduced into the the podcast lately by by some listeners that they really people really seem to be enjoying so. I will ask you, what is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh,
1: um, besides the tuner, actually, I don't love the tuner. I'm Not gonna lie, it's not good for pedal steel, in my opinion. Just throwing that out well, there. Wa- wait, hold, hold on. It. Boss hold on. pedal
0: is. Wait, 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 wait. Why is the tuner <laughs> not good for pedal steel? Uh, I just don't think it's. Um,
1: it's just the resolution of it isn't like good enough. And it's also like there's lots of like sharps and things on pedal steel that it's I just find it to be like not user friendly for pedal steel like it is for guitar. Um, OK, the two tu- if this is a different topic, but the tuner I actually like the most for pedal steel is the PolyTune uh, TC electronics. I, th- I think that's just for steel. It does all the weird notes and, and I have the clip on one and you just leave it on top of the pedal steel body and it still works. Like you don't have to like clip it on. It's just like you could like Velcro it onto the steel and it would just go. And that that's an amazing thing. Uh, but back to the boss thing, I think the blues driver is my favorite boss pedal
0: of all time. The blues driver is great. I've, I've seen it get a little bit of hate from certain people and I've never really understood it because it was the first boss pedal that I like immediately bonded with, even after I was already yeah, me like too, Boutique-y stuff. Um,
1: uh, yeah, I was like, it was the pedal that made me be like, why am I using these tube screamers? Because it's like someone <laughs> I used to work at a nightclub <laughs> in Vermont, and someone like left a blues driver there, and uh, I'd been using tube screamers, and I was like, I can try this blues driver, and I was like, oh my god, this is way better. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've had it ever since. I love that. Pedal. I think so.
0: Oh, the same, the same blues driver yeah nice nice
1: it was a yeah, it has it's like some sort battle. of like Dude, analog man a... mod i think yeah, i don't know what the mod is on it oh here it is it is the re-j project range no. expander I, I don't know RC, what that is jrc 4558d which is i think the op amp yeah it's like the analog man version of the blues driver
0: well, of so course. Maybe it's, it's not 100% weird,
1: pure boss. Maybe it's a little tweaked, but you know, when you beggars can't be choosers, I found it. <laughs> so, I, you know, <laughs> I find you- a lot of things in uh, the garbage and stuff here at my shop, too. Actually, that's the nice thing about like being in bands and like rehearsing at those like giant rehearsal things in cities. Like when I lived in New York, I found like some little like Casio synthesizer in the garbage that totally worked. And I found a bunch of cool stuff where my shop is here that people throw out, and it's like usually just like a wire is broken or something. Um,
0: Are you in a so, practice type space? If it's where your shop is. That's where
1: my yeah, that's where my shop is. Um, I'm in like a big room, and then uh, there's a recording studio and a bunch of
0: rehearsal spaces. Interesting. I that's a that's like a a hot tip. I might maybe I'll have to go dumpster dive in near some rehearsal spaces. Oh yeah. All kinds of good
1: stuff. And it's always broken, but it's always... The way guitar gear and music gear breaks is always very predictable because it's like... You know, for like an amp, for example, you'd be like, okay, what is the thing you do the most on the amp that would make it break? If it's not a... Tube amps, usually it's just the tubes. Very common. But it's like, oh, it's like you plug in the jack, the quarter-inch cable, and it's like... You do that like thousands of times and like... That's what breaks usually or like some switch that you flip like a gazillion times.
0: Um, That's a good way to, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Where's the most wear and tear. That's probably where the failure point is most likely.
1: Yep. And in a tube amp, it's like 99% of the time. It's just a tube that is broken. Sometimes the tube when it breaks, like takes out some other components with it, but it's pretty rare. Usually like, you know, you just pull the bad thing out and put the good thing in like a light bulb and it works again i but for I, some, there is some like generational divide i think where younger people maybe are just used to like planned obsolescence and things like not being repairable um but as far as music gear goes like everything's actually repairable um for the most part it's like usually it's all like pretty simple it's de- it's designed by people that you know want them to last and work like forever so more unsolicited advice like if you see something in a garbage can grab it it's probably like totally fine
0: and worst case scenario if it's not you can put it right back in the garbage yep you can just it's not that hard (laughs) yeah no no one
1: got harmed you know unless it's covered in something that was the reason it was thrown out was because it's disgusting and covered in some sort of bodily something? That's a different situation.
0: Yeah, that I, I feel like that's very obvious. Though you're not gonna you're not gonna get surprised by you know vomit. You'll be like, yeah, that's been puked on, so I guess it's gonna stay right there. Yeah, right. Where you know, it and this belongs. is a this is a higher
1: end facility that I'm in here too. So that that is not gonna happen here.
0: Ooh, you, so you get the yeah, people throwing out their dumbbells. Yeah. No. Not not no. that high end. Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like, oh, well, this is no good. I'm just going to have to pitch it. Wish I knew somebody that could fix this dumble amplifier for me, but I guess it's just reached the end of its life. Yeah, well, what you'll find in there is all kinds of surprising
1: stuff that you wouldn't you wouldn't expect. Oh, yeah? What do you mean? Yep. I don't know. I don't wanna I don't want to get into that. But you know, back now there's like an industry of companies that make parts for high-end guitar amplifiers. But back when he was building amplifiers, there was not. So you had to like take things out of other amplifiers and like Frankenstein them if you or you know Dr. Frankenstein, I should say, them, if you uh you know wanted them to If you wanted to make things, so there's like, you you can take apart an old Dumble, and you're like, oh, this is like a lot of parts from a fender twin or, oh, this is from radio shack because that's where people used to buy stuff in the sixties and seventies for electronics projects. Um, and things like that. It's very surprising. It's not like you take it apart and you're like, these are hand wound custom transformers and whatever. It's like, it's a lot of like recycled stuff which kind of adds to the uh the lore i think it's like you know it's kind of like uh what was that movie with Ray Liotta where he like ends up on an like a prison island <laughs> and they just have all the like they've made like some sort of little like society out of like whatever junk like washed up on the shore and there's like the guy who's like distilling alcohol <laughs> you know that's basically what dumble was doing it's just like whatever was like finding its way to him he was like turning into some sort of like you know, magical thing. Anyways, that's a different conversation.
0: I see. That is a, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't really think about the fact that mercury magnetics wasn't exactly around back then. Nope. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole interesting, interesting conversation. But one thing I I do need to get into here before we, before we got to wrap this thing up. And this is a, this is, this is a crucial question. Um, And being being zero foodie, I think you will appreciate it. But uh, what kind of pizza do you like?
1: Um, I think my favorite pizza type is pepperoni and it's gotta be thin crust. I don't mess around with that. I mean, I grew up like 30 miles outside of New York city and we had really good pizza where I grew up and I go into New York and eat pizza all the time. And, you know, I don't mess around with anything except a thin crust and my
0: go-to would be pepperoni. Okay, solid, very solid. Yeah, I knew you were you were in New York for a time, so I figured you'd have you'd definitely have an opinion on that. Yeah, California has, or at least San Francisco, like the pizza game
1: has improved since I've been here. I've been here like about twelve or thirteen years now, and it's gotten a lot better. Um, but they tr- they generally try to like combine pizza with a salad somehow. It's like really bizarre. And the East Coast it's just kind of like meat, cheese and crust and like you know, and sauce and that's it. And here the California is like very creative like oh, we'll put an egg on, in the middle of it. Like okay, and it's good, but it's not it's just not what I'm used to. Like when I whenever I fly back home to the East Coast, like I'll just go to like any hole in the wall place and get like the greasiest looking most congealed looking slice of pepperoni pizza and they slide it in that big oven thing for like three minutes and pull it out and you mm. burn the roof of your mm. mouth behind your teeth and that, cru- that crust like crisps right back up and it's just it's just great I gotta go to New York what am I doing oh, I gotta get man. off this call and,
0: <laughs> and get, get to New York oh man yeah. I'm, I'm like salivating right now um, if you ever come to Portland uh, we have a few We have a few spots that I'll have to take you to. I think you will be pleasantly surprised, you know, with the, with the, the, the the pizza game is, is rapidly improved around here. There's some, there's some legit East coast style spots now. Chris will, Chris will disagree with me, but I don't think he's, yeah, he's also, he's from like Maine or, or Connecticut too, right? Isn't he from Connecticut or Maine? I don't know. He's from somewhere on the East coast. He's, he's been everywhere I can't keep track of where he actually was from he's like oh yeah back when I was there and back when I was there I'm like where haven't you been exactly so I don't know yeah but yeah he he was he was very adamant that there was there was no good pizza in, in Portland at least not not to the level that he was the New York stuff that you were talking about and I I found some spots I had to do some digging but I found some spots well I will say that um the East Coast has pizza
1: lockdown, but it has its donut culture has been ruined by Dunkin' Donuts, and this may be something that people may just throw their phones, you know, away when they hear this or whatever. But I am not a fan of Dunkin' Donuts. I like small like Mon Pa style donut shops, and there's tons of them in San Francisco. There's no like big donut chains, and those are like we have like good donuts here, and I know Portland has good donuts, um, but for some reason the East Coast like. When I was a kid there was like all these great donut shops and now it's just like Dunkin Donuts everywhere and those donuts are awful. Like what are people thinking? How how have we let how have we let this happen as a as a country, you know? Like this is this is a tragedy that like our donut game has just gone into the garbage bin like a broken blues
0: driver. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of the last time I had Dunkin Donuts i really honestly i don't think i've probably that means you're doing donuts it right in, in <laughs> 10 years maybe i i, I don't like re- even, coffee's I even fine, tell you
1: but i mean i you know i just, I went to school in vermont and i used to like take a bus and like the bus would like stop and there'd be like a bus stop and it had like a dunkin donuts and i'd get donuts and i'm just like it's just like they just have the texture is wrong the like the flavors wrong they kind of have this weird like oily like aftertaste that kind of lingers with you like sometimes for days like if you eat a blueberry dunkin donut you will like t- have that taste in your mouth for like way longer than you want to <laughs> you know so yeah i just i don't know i'm just i'm not a fan but then i can't when i moved to san francisco there's like these kind of small family owned donut donut places usually they're called like happy donut or something and they're like proper donuts they come in a little pink box so good
0: how is San Francisco like doing on the uh on the on the bagel game? How's that how's that going?
1: It's gotten a lot better. There's a place called Wise Sons that makes kind of proper uh East Coast style bagels. They're not quite the same, but they're they're very good and they're very close. Um they're a little expensive. Like I feel like the bagel really took off in New York because it's such a cheap, easy, like grab and go thing. Here it's kind of like a boutique you know, bagel experience, but they are pretty good. They got the, a bagel should be like crispy on the outside, soft on the inside, and you shouldn't have to toast it. You should just like kind of, if it's not warm, you should kind of warm it up in an oven. And um, they they get that right. Like the, the texture is right. It's mm. just, they're like, they're not like cheap street food. They're like, you know, fancier, but also it's kind of like, they had to go to great lengths to make these things out here. We're like, you know, we're in like the, the far ends of the earth as far as bagels are concerned. Um, when I lived in Vermont, there is Canadian style bagels or Montreal style bagels, which are totally different. And yeah, it's a different thing. They're smaller. They're made in like a wood burning or like a wood or brick oven type thing. Um, That was like a thing in Burlington. Those bagels are actually really good and I kind of got used to them. Um, And so now I feel like my whole like bagel barometer is like way off. I just, you know, I've just been away from Connecticut and New York for too long at this point. I'm out of touch.
0: It's time to send you, send you back for a little bit, just for a little, a little, little vacation. Maybe you can do a fly date. You can test out your amp and then you can eat some bagels and some pizza and and just recharge yeah i've
1: yeah when i fly back to new york i usually eat my way through the city i go to all my favorite spots um but yeah i mean i've i've grown up now like i have like a kid and stuff so it's like you can't just go and like be up till three in the morning eating like i would like to but when he's a little older like guess what we're doing
0: yeah you gotta (laughs) take him under your wing (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'll be like
1: i need to show you the way i need to show you like what a proper falafel is like a falafel is not some like yellow brown thing it's like it's green it should be like bright green and uh you know pizza shouldn't be thick and shouldn't have like you know kale on it it should be like bare bones thin like razor thin slice
0: i gotta i gotta teach him all the everything i know about street food what that is called is it's called being a good father that's what that's called yeah, great. <laughs> well, Tim, uh, we've hit the sixty-minute mark, and I'm starving. So, if you yeah, have anything la- last, you'd like to tell the listeners anything you'd uh, anything you'd like to convey, now's now's the time.
1: Uh just well, thank you for listening, and check out Milkman stuff. I have a Instagram it's at Milkman Sound. Um, the company is actually called Milkman Sound. I think a lot of people think it's like milkman amplifiers or milkman whatever and it's Man, milkman amps but it's actually milkman sound. It's cuz I started the company um it was a sound company first. I had like a PA and like recording studio stuff and then I like kind of got into amp building. So anyways that's no, that's the history. We left but, that part of yeah, the story out. But <laughs> <laughs> I left a lot of the story out but I yeah it's I've I'm like Chris Benson. I feel like this is why Chris Benson and I are like such good buddies. Like we've just like done so many things you know before we ended up doing this and like it's always kind of interesting he's kind of like uh you know uh, he's well experienced you know like he's like oh i used to mm-hmm. do that i used to do that like i used to be a, i used to drive an ice cream truck like you know not i can tick that box That's, I used to repair yeah, no. televisions all kinds of random stuff
0: we'll have to get into that maybe on a on another episode sometime we'll have to have you back on yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. really appreciate it. And uh, I'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. So for Tim, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. That episode has actually been on the books for a long time, longer than I even realized. I texted Chris Benson to get Tim's number because I knew they were friends. And I realized I already had his number in the phone and we had been texting like in 2015 about him doing the podcast. So it kind of finally coalesced and came back around. We were able to make the episode happen and I hope you really enjoyed it. And one last thing, if you have not checked out the special announcement episode that was just prior to this one, it was a very short just couple minute audio description of a new thing we're doing with the podcast where we're giving away pedals and it's not that complicated, but it involves listening to the podcast and answering some trivia questions via email. And you can get yourself some freebies once a month just by listening to the podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it's just a couple minutes. It gives you the whole rundown rundown, down, down rundown of what's going on and what we're going to try to do moving forward with these, uh, these coming months. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. And I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So go check that episode out. And until next time, keep it on the fuzzy side, would you? One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market.